Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. No wonder. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple called Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas, Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he had seen a man named a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the word of the Lord. I love a good story. Who loves a good story? especially that has the outcome that you want. Uh, just about every weekend from uh, Thursday night through Monday, stories open up my little uh, app, call it on my face pad, or iPad or whatever it's called, and I read stories. I read the NRL stories, and I read the AFL stories, and I read the cricket stories. And they are, they're all testimonies of what happened over the weekend. And I love the stories where my team won. We all love good stories, but more importantly, uh, the Word of God in the book of Revelation, I, I don't need that, do I? I can keep speaking into it. I don't need it at all. You should have told me. I'm under, I'm under pressure here. Um, but the Word of God in, in the book of Revelation tells us for a certain group of people, and it has a, a slightly different connotation than what I'm saying about talking about this morning, it says that they overcame by... The blood of the Lamb the word, and the word of their testimony. Whatever they said, and the blood of the Lamb. 
But there's a principle that applies here as well, even for you and for me. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the Lamb covers us, as we said around the communion table this morning. Uh, it cleanses me and you from all unrighteousness. For those that trust in the, the act of Jesus on the cross, He cleanses us from unrighteousness. And my testimony becomes powerful when I, when I come under attack in our community and then say, why do you do this and why do you do that? I say, well, because Jesus has saved me and Jesus has favored me and I'm a son of the living God. That's why I do what I do. And as soon as I say it, there's an immense power of the Holy Spirit that comes our way. So I love great testimonies. Um, our musicians, I'm not sure they're aware of it, but while we were taking up the offering, no, sometime before that, they were playing in some, in some of the interlude music was uh, uh, Softly and Tenderly. I love that song. I almost chose it as one of my hymns, but our testimony of calling this morning isn't a softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. It's basically God yelling out, you're not listening, so I'm going to do something really huge here. Anybody ever had one of those moments? Well, some of you did receive softly and tenderly. Praise God. That's wonderful. Your testimony is no less important than for those of us that weren't listening and God had to do something amazing to grab our attention. Like put this little black duck in the gutter and live on the street for a little while before he could even understand that there was a God that loved him. Now before we go any further, I'm mindful of time and I just want to make sure that we get everything covered this morning. And I think we should be very mindful of our pastor who, even though he's receiving a great blessing today in marrying his daughter or being, being part of that service, that he's probably suffering. I read the uh, weather report for Bright in Victoria this morning, and it's going to be about 12 degrees or 14 degrees. Now, he's not going to have that. He's going to be on the top of the mountain. Where, and you notice the higher you go, the colder it gets. I imagine this little scene of the tallness of Pastor Martin with a big skivvy around him and a scarf and a beanie and the wind howling and he can't be heard for all the words. He's having the time of his life, but he's miserably cold. So I'm going out with him this morning and I just want to identify with him for a little while. I said I, I told him I would do it. All right, I feel in the... No, you can't do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. The Word of God. Let's get quick. I, I want this to be a blessing today, and I want it to be a challenge today. With, I think there's about nine or ten points. I'm going to go through them very quickly. But every one of them, it's not just theology. It's, it's the story of the salvation of Saul, who became Paul. It's powerful in God, but it relates to us. And I'm going to ask each and every one of us a question with regards to each point. So my first point is this character. Who is this Saul who became known as Paul? Who is this bloke? He, he's a Pharisee amongst Pharisee. I mean, he, he, he's a, a learned man. He studied under Gamaliel. If you wanted to go to the best schools, he went to them. He was a Jew amongst Jews. He was an academic. He was an intellectual. He was an intelligent man. Even non-Christians today, when they read his writings and they don't understand that it was the Holy Spirit that inspired him, all they see is Paul's intellect. And they see a giant intellect. He was a Jew amongst Jews, but he was also a Roman citizen. This man was a somebody. He was a somebody. He was a really, really important man. There's so much in this passage, though, but about his conversion. What do we learn? 20 Holy Spirit power-packed verses that reveal how Saul was dramatically converted. They can spur us on in our own faith, or if we have not there yet, they can spur us on towards becoming faith-filled people. 
And I want to just say on this final point in that one about his character, whether you're a somebody or a nobody, you're important to God. God wants every one of you. I actually tire of people saying things to me like, he would make a great Christian. And what they're saying is, he's a really nice person. He's probably got a lot of money. He's gifted. He could help our church. He plays guitar, piano. He preaches. He tap dances. He's, he's going to be a fantastic Christian. I, I get tired of that. Why would he make a better Christian than the drunk on the road? He, he won't. In fact, I've seen it fail time and time again where famous, influential people have got saved and then the church has mishandled it and it's been an absolute mess. We all need Jesus. So whether you think you're a somebody or a nobody or whether other people think you're a somebody or nobody, to act to God, you're a somebody. I know what my character was like before I met Jesus. Do you remember what you were like before you met Jesus? You, I know everybody thinks Lee's a really, really nice person. Uh, and you might think difficult. Of, you, when you think of me, you might find that difficult. But I want to tell you, compared to what I was, man, I'm a really, really nice person now. I wasn't then. Well, Paul, even though he thought he was serving God, wasn't a particularly nice person. He took it upon himself to go to the Jewish rulers and said, I'm, I'm more concerned than you about all this trouble that's happening in our synagogues, and I want to do something about it. And I'm not going to be gentle about it. I want permission by you to go to everywhere and not just tap them on the shoulder and say, excuse me, I wish you wouldn't say that anymore. I want to take them in chains and bind them and lock them up and put them away forever and even beat them. This was the man that stood when they were stoning Timothy to death. Timothy? Stephen. Thank you. You know your Bible. Stephen. And he was okay with that. Would you be okay with somebody being stoned to death in your presence? Well, he was. He's a cruel man. Why, why are people cruel? Why do people persecute others? This is my first real point. ISIS or Daesh or whatever you want to call them these days. Uh, are causing incredible terror around the world, even though they're supposed to have been defeated in Iran and that, they're still causing heaps of problems. They're causing fear, torment, and, and they're being really nasty with it. In India in 1999, we, we might remember the story of the killing of Graham Staines and his two sons of, who were missionaries there. They were killed by Hindu fundamentalists who thought, these guys are just going to ruin our, our way of life. They're going to just ruin the Hindu way of life in our country. Let's get rid of them. Um, what about China today? They're, they're persecuting everybody that doesn't believe the way that they want. The Falun Gong? Now, I don't, I'm not a Falun Gong uh, supporter, but they're, they're giving those group of people absolute pain and misery. Uh, the Yuga people, the Tibetan people, the Christian people, they're, they're giving it to them all and they're not being nice about it. They're locking them up. I said to somebody recently, the last time I was in China, I spoke to at a church, one of the bigger churches in, in Shanghai, even though I went basically around the provinces. Uh, I got the opportunity to speak in this church and it was a high-rise building in the middle of Shanghai and, and there was hundreds upon hundreds of people on this, in this one floor but they hadn't seen their pastor for three years because he was locked up. But they were still going. Um, what about the IRA? What about our Christian terrorists that we've had over the years? What about the Crusaders in the Middle Ages in the name of God? You know what they did? They went over into the, 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 into the Holy Land and they grabbed all the people that didn't believe the same as them and they baptised them in the name of Jesus by literally dunking them underwater until they drowned to death. And then they justified it in the name of Jesus. So why are people so cruel? But the problem is we have a very secular Australia who's persecuting every person of faith and especially Christians today. 
And they're doing it by mockery and mimicking and pulling us down and robbing us of opportunity to speak where we should be able to speak. And I don't like it. Do you? They're all nasty, terrible, terrible, cruel people. Aren't they? Well, I wonder if Saul at this stage in his life, at the time of our story, might have considered been considered in the same vein. Would he, have he been seen as a terrorist and a persecutor to the Christians in those days? He certainly would have been. Let's draw it a bit closer to home, though. Have you ever tormented another human being in your church? Have you ever persecuted another person in your church because they didn't believe exactly the same way that you do, didn't, like, didn't do things the way that you wanted them to do it? Have you been part of the problem instead of part of the answer? Now, I know they're tough questions, but we need to ask them because it's easy to point the finger at somebody else and say, terrible, terrible, terrible. But I've been church around church life for a long time and I don't want to dwell on it, but I've seen some Christians do some pretty nasty things to other Christians and the only word I can come up for it with it is persecution and cruelty. So don't, let's raise ourselves above Paul or any of those other people. Within us is the incredible, terrible uh, tendency and capacity to do nasty stuff to other people. When we speak ill well of another person in the church, when we pull down instead of build up, we're doing exactly the same. We're persecuting people. Some people leave our churches because they're being persecuted so much and they just cannot take any more of that nasty stuff that's going on. And it happens in every church. So my first question, have you ever been part of the problem? I want you to consider that because it's a very important one. Now, don't get condemned in it because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You simply come to him and ask for forgiveness. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Be honest with yourself and with your God. Are you part of the answer or are you part of the problem? Saul was part of the problem, big time. Point two, calling. Have we got there? Oh, we are, nearly, yes. Our God is always calling out to people. Always. Come follow me was one of Jesus' favorite expressions, wasn't it? To Matthew. Come follow me. To Simon Andrew. Come follow me. I'm amazed at the faith of those men and women that just instantly, without thought, just started following him. I'm amazed at Abraham or Abram's testimony that he was a, a heathen, a pagan, living in a pagan land. And God turns up and whispers in his ear and says, go to the land of Ur, uh, into the cold. He, he didn't even know what he was doing. And guess what? He packed up everything and went. I would have argued for, with God for about 10 years. I would have. You know, go to Y.E. <laughs> Excuse me? Why would you? Lee wanted to go to Y.E. She chose Y.E. What's it Y.E.? What good can come out of Y.E.? You know? I'm, I'm thankful I'm not a, I don't have a missionary calling. I go and visit missionaries and have little short-term visits and, and make myself feel good and hopefully bless them as well. But I'm not a missionary. I, I don't speak any more languages than English. and I don't even speak that one real, real good. Uh, my dietary habits are... I'd never survive. I mean, when I was in China, I had to eat some seriously rugged, terrible stuff. Well, I mean, Margaret, I mean, they were deep fried, but they were still uh, um, grasshoppers, sorry. And they're still scorpions. Was, that's the way it is. I mean, you eat some funny stuff overseas. But if God was to call me, Lee says it better than I am. She's, Lee's quite happy to go to Hamilton Island. <laughs> uh, you know why? And Lee has a theology on that. 
who, who are the hardest people to get into the, into the kingdom of heaven? The rich people. There's a whole heap of rich people up on Hamilton Island and Lee wants that call. All right? I'm with her. Yeah. But God is always calling people. Always. Matthew, a tax collector, John the divine, Peter the, the, the fisherman. No one can ever say, he never called me. Jesus is always calling to people. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In Revelation, he says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to take the water of life with price, without price come. Our God is a God of invitation. He's a very hospitable God. He wants everybody in. There's room for everyone. God is always desiring companionship and conversation. He will never force his attention on you or anyone else, but he's always asking, come. And on his behalf this morning, if you don't know Jesus, I'm saying on behalf of God to you, will you please come to Jesus? Will you please come to Jesus? He doesn't want you to be religious. In fact, he hates that stuff. He doesn't want you to become a religious nut. He hates that stuff. All he wants to do is to come to you and you to come to him so he can say, you're forgiven of your sin, whatever you've done, it's okay. Come with me and I'll make sure you have a great life and you've got a great eternity. Spend some time with me. The rest of those Christians down there, they're hardly speaking to me at all. They all talk about prayer and read about prayer, but hardly of them, any, any of them ever actually want to have a conversation. Will you please come and have a talk with me? That's true. How many Christians actually see prayer as more than just the ritual of Will you do this and will you do that? Do you ever sit down and actually have a conversation with your God like you would with your best friend or your wife or your husband? God desires that with his whole heart. Even when I'm arguing with him, he loves it when I argue with him because he knows he's always going to win. He wants conversation. He's a, he's a God of invitation. He's a God of being together. Has he called to you? And what has been your response? Very personal questions, but you need to ask them. It doesn't matter whether your auntie was a scripture teacher or you have a brother or sister that in the dim, dark past was a priest or a pastor or a nun or a whatever. What about you? It's not about your family. They can't, they can't get you to heaven. It's you. Have you heard his call? Have you responded? Or you'd think, oh, I'll think about that. One day, maybe. <laughs> Might be too late. Sorry. Our next point, conversion. Our God wants everybody. God is not willing that anyone should perish. He'll go out of his way to give you a chance. As I said earlier, softly and tenderly, great song. And I wish that that was the case, that, God, that we would all hear God's whisper. Because I think he whispers first. But if we don't hear the whisper, he'll turn our lives upside down to grab our attention. And even then, some of us won't pay attention. But I want to tell you now, if your life is being turned upside down now, I can almost guarantee that it's God that's doing the turning upside down. There might be other earthly agencies that seem to be a part of it, but God is trying to grab your attention. In the trial that you're in now, God is trying to grab your attention. In the torment that you might be facing now, God is trying to grab your attention. Can you be like that woman I said, talked about in Brisbane, in the midst of her dementious ramblings, finally finds a little bit of uh, fluidity and is able to say, God has been good to me? Or are you still whinging and moaning about all the bad stuff that you think things happening? Conversion. It changes your thinking. How can, a, how can God do it? 
I keep saying that I was an atheist. I, I may, might have been an agnostic, but I think I was closer to atheism. In fact, my whole view on life was, if there is a God, I don't like him. Because like many Australians, especially, and especially Western cultures, you see all the bad things in the world, and the God that you don't believe in is the problem. He's caused them all, so therefore you won't believe in him. It's just a vicious, vicious round and round circle. But how can somebody like me, or maybe you had that same situation where you did not believe, there was no faith in your heart, there was no belief. In fact, you were into New Age religion. You might have been like me into astral traveling and trying to find the third eye and, you know, do all that mystical stuff. I was, that was me. And it was stupid playing play games. So I had no belief in me whatsoever. Unlike many of you, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. There was no Bible. There was no Bible stories apart from a few little years in the Catholic Church where you heard some, some stories, but they were just stories. But how can God, just like that, turn non-belief into belief? Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I first came to faith, I did not know one scripture. I didn't even know John 3.16. I might have seen it, you know, on a placard at some stupid sports match where there was an idiot trying to inter interrupt the, the, the race or whatever it was by any putting up his placard and saying, you know, John 3.16. I thought, well, what's that idiot doing? I couldn't know. But I, when I was saved, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I was saved. I didn't have to know a whole heap of scripture because God does the work. Conversion is an, ama an amazing thing. All minds are changed by an encounter with the living Christ. Jesus meets Saul out of the blue and he's converted in a big way. So the amazing thing is that when, when we read in our scriptures from today is that those around him heard something but they didn't really realise what was happening. And I want to tell you that when you were saved and when I was saved, even a lot of Christians around us had no idea what God was doing. They knew, just, just knew something was happening. And for those of us that come from uh, non-churched families, they were rightfully confused. How can we expect a non-believer to understand what God is doing? As Christians, that's one of the big mistakes we make. We expect the world to behave like Christians, to think like Christians. But they cannot think or behave like us until God has touched their heart. We can be hard on ourselves. I've got every right to challenge you as a brother and sister in the Lord to make sure you're doing it okay. But I've got no right to demand Christian behavior from a non-believer. I've got no right to do that. The only obligation I have towards them is to love them. Conversion. Have you been converted? Changed? What has been your response? Do you know Jesus? When you, when you come to Jesus, did you just get religious or were you genuinely converted? Are you a different person now than you were then? Are you a different person now than you were last week? It's not good enough to, to rest on last week. Everybody got a testimony? I can guarantee if I was to ask for testimonies right now, there'd be a few among us, the more outgoing, who would say something like, yeah, I got a testimony, and they'd get up, and they'd have great testimonies of 1970, 1980, 1990, and they are wonderful testimonies, and they should be relevant in our lives. But I'm talking about fresh testimony. What's God doing in your life now? Commission. The encounter was a conversion, a call, and a commission all in one. God knew what he wanted to do with Paul. This man is going to go and preach to the nations. Now, not all of us are going to preach to the nations, but every one of us are going to serve God and serve God in an amazing way. We prayed in the prayer room earlier this morning, or I prayed it. I thank God for all the ministry that was going on in this place today. 
And I prayed that some would be noticed and even acknowledged and even thanked. And others would have no idea that anybody is even noticing what they're doing in the name of Jesus. We're saved to serve. We should be doing something. And even if it's only praying, we should be praying. We're called to look at life and ourselves and at the other people through the lens of Jesus Christ, risen in life. You have your story, risen with Christ, an encounter with him, perhaps dramatic, perhaps not. I think I told you before as we come to a close that uh, years ago there was a young American preacher come to preach in our church and he was, he was young, he was only in his early 20s. And because I was a musician, I was up on the platform area and most of us come with notes, you know, like this, and I don't, mine might not necessarily stick to mine. Pastor Martin does. That's good. Um, but some people have lots of notes, and, but we all have something. And this guy came up with a scrap of paper, and all he had was three scriptures written on it. And I mean scrap. It was literally about that big. And he put it there, and I thought to myself, oh, this will be good. And then he preached, and some of us are looking at our watch now, even me, because I know that, you know, I've got to be careful. Um, and I started to look, and I thought, oh, this will be But he preached for about 50 minutes. Maybe an hour. Lee, well, Lee, Lee will confirm that later. She doesn't like me exaggerating in any sense. Lee likes the truth. That's it. Um, and we were not bored. We were in... Wow. All he did was take three scriptures and preach the word of God because that was the call of God on his life. Have you responded? Our God would call us to do difficult things. How would you have liked to have been Ananias? Come on, be honest. How would you have liked to have been Ananias? This man's coming to actually do nasty stuff to the Christians and God whispers in your ear, go and see him, will you? I would have argued with God. I would have been saying things like, I think that, uh, that brother Kevin, he's much more gifted than I am in that area. Send Pastor Martin. You know, send his sister Elwyn. Send, send Betty. Betty's been around a long time. She'll know how to deal with him. Put him in his place. You know, no, no. But it's, sometimes God asks us to do crazy things. I know a, a woman who just recently um, was challenged because she's a very gifted lady, a wife of a pastor, minister in her own right, uh, but she was just tired of the whole thing and God challenged her to go and teach at the local kids club again. You know, 30, 40 young kids, crazy as, non-Christian, and she was just, no, I don't want to do that, don't want to do that, don't want to do that. But she heard a word similar to this and she said, God just challenged me to do the hard thing. I just got to do it. I'll be blessed in it. The last thing though, as we do close, um, we prayed it just about every week. Who's got friends and family members that they're concerned about? Sons, daughters, grandchildren, husbands, wives. And you worry about them, don't you? And you, and you wonder how on earth can God do anything? Look at Saul. Saul wasn't looking to be saved. Saul was looking to serve God in a, in a stupid way. Uh, Saul thought he was 100% right in everything that he was about. And yet God got him and he got him good. Saul was actually hostile towards God, even though he didn't realize it. When God said, God said why do you kick against the goads? Well, the goad was just a long stick with a sharp point at the end of it where they used to actually prod the cat, cattle to get them moving. And God was saying, I'm prodding you and you're just resisting all the time. Why are you doing that? Get with the show, boy. Well, he was against God, and yet God turned his life upside down just like that. God turned my life upside down just like that. What about you, Kevin? Did he turn your life upside down just like that? I mean, it was immediate. 
God can do the same for your son, your daughter, your children, your grandchildren. Just keep praying in faith. Keep praying, keep believing, keep loving. I didn't say all I wanted to say, but I've said enough. Well, it's true. Have you been challenged this morning? Because Jesus wants you. And you might say, oh, I've been a Christian for 50 years now, Clyde. You don't know what you're talking about. I know more than you. You probably do know more than me. But if you're not serving God now in any capacity, you need the, the goading of the... You do. And I'm here to, to put it out there a little bit. What about you? And I'm not ashamed of that anymore. Because my job is not to be Mr. Nice Guy. My job is not to just preach nice words that everybody... Oh, wasn't he lovely this morning? Didn't like his singing much, but he was okay. I want to be known as somebody who said, he, he really challenged me with the word of God. Where are you this morning? Are you part of the answer or are you part of the problem? Are you in genuine relationship with Jesus or not? And if you're not, you need to fix that right now this morning. And I'm here to see you afterwards if you want to talk about this further on. So why don't we sing our final song as we close this morning, then encourage each other in our faith. Would that be a good idea?